Hey, Tommy. Hey, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. You got about 10, 15 minutes of your time? Well, less than 15, 10. Yeah, 10. yeah. I got Jerome Jones. Hey, Daryl, this is Jerome. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. You doing okay? Yes, sir. Good to hear from you. We're starting something new. The idea came when a lot of the victims' families started approaching us about being on TV and doing interviews, and the media really didn't have time to do the interviews. So I said, well, I guess I can do my own little platform and maybe put it on our Facebook page and put it in the rest of the iTunes and stuff like that, and at least they'll have a little something to look forward to, and then putting them on TV and things of that sort. So I thought of having our own platform. And yo, Nick, run it back. Welcome to Central Alabama Crime Stoppers Podcast. Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit organization serving the state of Alabama to bring together law enforcement, media, and the community in the fight to stop, solve, and prevent crime. Now, let's start the show. Welcome to the Central Alabama Crime Stoppers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jerome Jones, joined by Central Alabama's Crime Stoppers Executive Director, Tony Garrett. Today, we're going to be talking with Montgomery County District Attorney Daryl Bailey, and we're also going to hear from a local faith leader in the community, Pastor Reginald Simpkins from Heart of God Church. And I think that people are in for a really good show today and some great information. Yes, sir. Well, we hope that you all enjoy the show and that you could learn something from it. And remember always, if you see something, say something, and we're going to get right into the show now. Thanks for joining us. Daryl Bailey, I wanted to talk to you about the cold case unit and maybe give maybe some input as far as how Crime Stoppers helps the cold case unit and what you need in order to make your program go. Trump. P.A. Bailey, I just want to ask you one question real quick about Cold Case Unit. It's been over a year now since that unit has been formed. Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, almost exactly a year old now. D.A. Bailey, tell me when, you know, when you guys and girls sat at the round table and decided to put this Cold Case Unit together, what was the motivating factor that made you all get at the round table and put this together? And who's involved with the cold case in formulating that that task force? So it, it was actually a plan that's a couple years in the making. We just had more and more families that were contacting us, wanting updates on their cases. And of course, we're not necessarily involved or weren't back then involved in the investigation of the cases. They were mainly Montgomery Police Department, of course, the sheriff had maybe one or two, but most of his cases were solved and he didn't have that many to begin with. But most of the cases we were dealing with were the Montgomery Police Department. And, and so I started asking around and contacted uh, some of the supervisors over there. And they let me know that generally most of their cases get solved every year, but on average, seven to eight, maybe nine, 10, depending on the year, do go unsolved. And, you know, you go back 20 years, that could be 200 cases. And because of the high volume of homicide cases that we have in Montgomery, the detectives just didn't have time to go back and, and, keep those cases warm, if you will. Uh, they had too many new cases coming in. So we felt that we needed to address that. And so we started planning and Minister Felicia uh, Bell came into the picture. Her brother, unfortunately, was murdered. So we kind of formed a partnership to start pushing for this cold case unit. And so we went to our leaders. Uh, at that time, it was Montgomery Mayor Todd Strange and I went to the county commission and I talked to Chairman Dean and 
Uh, Dan Harris was also one of the ones we reached out to, and they were all very supportive of the ideal. And it took us a while to get everything organized, but uh, once we were able to get a good solid plan, the city of Montgomery agreed to be a part of it. Sheriff Cunningham agreed to be a part of it. And of course, our office agreed to spearhead everything. So we were able to hire an investigator specifically for cold cases. We actually stole someone from the Montgomery Police Department, one of their best detectives, but he, he is a great asset to uh, these cold cases. He's one of the best homicide detectives I've ever seen, uh, Detective Anthony Shannon. The Montgomery Police Department dedicated a detective, uh, Guy Knocken, who has been investigating murders for over 20 years, 20-plus years. And then, of course, the Sheriff's Office dedicated a seasoned investigator. And we've actually got a couple of more investigators in our office that are helping uh, with some of the cold cases. So in total, we probably have three investigators in our office that are working almost full time on cold cases. Uh, we also assigned a victim service officer, Carolyn Tyus, to the unit. And she works primarily with the victim's families, updating them on progress that's being made and uh, helping them with any counseling needs or any other needs that they might have. It's uh, been an operation for a year. Uh, we have solved several cases, made arrests in several cases. And uh, we've got a couple of cases that are, are ready to arrest to be made on that will be coming soon. We'll be announcing those soon. Now, Darrell, you, you talked about partnerships with this unit. How does that alleviate influx of murders that were happening in Montgomery? How does this unit so to speak, free up other agencies or, you know, alleviate some of that stress from other agencies in the city? So uh, it does alleviate stress from other agencies. You know, specifically, we're you know, probably talking about the Montgomery Police Department. They were having to not only deal with cold cases and people that uh, were worried about, you know, their loved ones' cases not being solved, but keeping up with the current caseload demand as well, which is, you know, unfortunately is tremendous in the city in Montgomery. It did relieve them, but you know, the the biggest plus to the cold case unit is for victims' families because now they have hope. To know that, you know, your family member's been murdered and you know, have to suffer through that, but also to suffer through not knowing who killed your loved one is is even more of a tragedy. And so a lot of you know a lot of our families have just suffered for many years not knowing anything, not having any answers. And they also suffered you know, with the fact that no one was really actively working their case. So it's taken a lot of lo a lot of stress off of them knowing that, hey, someone is actually looking into um, my loved one's case. The uh, city of Montgomery is very thankful for this. I think we're all thankful. Uh, that this cold case unit has, has come about because it, you know, it's going to make Montgomery a safer place. Because if you think about it, these cases that go unsolved, that means the murderer is still running around out there and could be even committing more murders. You know, it's something that was desperately needed. Uh, D. A. Bailey, you mentioned uh, Miss Carolyn Tyus and the victims. Is she victim support officer? Is her title? I thought that was quite unique. Tell me how important it is to have that mediator, so to speak, when it comes to 
the families that have been affected by these unsolved murders? It's actually a, a very critical piece to our unit because, you know, investigators, uh, homicide investigators, they're not known for their bedside manner. Let's put it that way. They, you know, they have a job to do, and, and most of them are very, very good at the job that they do. But, you know, a lot of times they don't have time to sit there and field questions from family members or even give them updates because, you know, they were working on homicide cases just one after another. I've seen homicide detectives have three cases happen in just one weekend. Wow. Um, I've actually seen three cases happen in one day uh, that one investigator would be assigned to. So, you know, very, very busy. And family members would get frustrated because they wanted answers and they wanted them quickly. And you can't blame them for that. So uh, that's one of the pieces that we knew that we were going to have to prioritize, and that is a victim services officer. Carolyn Tyus was already a member of our uh, victim service officer team, and she's just a natural fit for that. Carolyn has had uh, a son who was, who was murdered, and she has had to go through the criminal justice system. That's how we met, actually. When her son was murdered, um, she was very frustrated with the investigation she was very frustrated with how long it was taking to go through the criminal justice system and you know that's uh, i had to navigate her through that and we we worked through those issues and eventually got the person who killed her son convicted and sent off to prison uh, and we became very close we became good friends and she was working at carver high school and when I knew we had a victim service officer position open, I said, you know, she'd be perfect for that. She joined our office. She is a volunteer for MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, speaks all across the state uh, regarding those drunk driving issues and drunk driving legislation and things like that. But she is a, a very good advocate for our family members because she's been there, been through the process. The same, you know, she got that same phone call that unfortunately many mothers get have gotten in the city of Montgomery uh, to let them know that their child's been murdered. And so she knows what that's like. She knows what it's like to have to go through all these court hearings and not get as much answers as you want. And so it's always good when a family member knows that it's not just a, a government bureaucrat that's talking to them and giving them legal ease or whatever. It's actually a real person who's been through the same thing that they're going through. Indeed. And um, D.A. Bailey, this is my last question for you. And then uh, Tony may have something uh, for you. But my question is, we did a story with you uh, about two years ago that was a feature piece on on underage kids with guns. All right. Now we have we have all these resources in Montgomery. We have Crime Stoppers. Uh, we have the district attorney's office. So when you know, if you had a message to community members that someone they that may be holding on to information in a case, someone that may be a potential witness, what would your message be to them to help you all, you know, relieve the pain of some of these families and get these violent offenders off of the streets? So that's the number one way that we solve cases is, is through people who give us information. And, you know, we're so blessed to have Crime Stoppers because Crime Stoppers is a conduit for uh, people to be able to give information and remain anonymous if, the, if they so desire. 
and uh, you know they can get rewards for the information. And I know Crime Stoppers pays out thousands of dollars each year for these tips that have been provided that lead to arrest and convictions. And you know, uh, Crime Stoppers and, and our office formed a partnership on dealing with those guns. That's what you were talking about, alluding to. And that program is still going on. You see a juvenile with a gun and you report it and we're able, law enforcement is able to confiscate that gun. You can get a reward for that. And it's actually a pretty hefty reward if you report a child who has a gun in a school. Uh, I think you could get up to $500 for that information. So we're very uh, thankful that we have that partnership with Crime Stoppers. So we do encourage anyone in the community to be proactive. Get If you live in Montgomery, this is your city, it's your neighborhood, your community, and it's going to do you no good if you don't report these things, if you don't give us the, the vital information that we need to go forward and prosecute a case. It's just going to, things are just going to keep getting worse and worse. We need good people to come forward and give us this information. We depend on it. And, you know, I encourage parents, they need to be vigilant. If you're not going through your child's room and uh, looking for guns or drugs or, you know, things of that nature, you need to be. And you ask why. Well, you, you could actually save your own child's life. I know parents right now that know their children, 14, 15-year-olds, that are carrying guns on the street. I'm like, well, they need it. And they're like, well, they need it for their protection. But, you know, you need to... You need to understand that there is no good reason a young child, a young person, a teenager to be carrying a gun on the streets of Montgomery. They just shouldn't be doing that. It's only going to get them in trouble uh, or even worse, get them killed. Parents do need to be vigilant about that. But as far as people with information about these things, they need to report it either to the Montgomery Police Department, to the district attorney's office or through Crime Stoppers. Crime Stop, everybody always asks me, do you really remain anonymous? And absolutely. I mean, there is no way that Crime Stoppers would be as successful as they are if they were going out telling everybody who gave the information. That's their lifeline, is to remain confidential and things like that. We're heavily dependent on people stepping up and doing the right thing and giving us this information. Yeah, that's right. And t- Tony, I think that fear of re- fear of retaliation or fear of, you know, being labeled as a snitch in the community is, is a lot of the driving factor behind people having information and not coming forward with their information. It's not actually a snitch uh, problem, per se. It's more fear than anything. Either they're a part of it or they have relatives or they're close to it. Uh, so the the amount of money that we give, like the 5000 that we offer for any cold case or the $300 for any gun found on a youth, uh, which we had two uh, telephone calls this week, District Attorney uh, Bailey, just so you know that hopefully we get some guns out of those tips. But just having, just having access to someone to speak to that's live, that's not a recording, I think that's our niche at Forest of Customer Service that we provide to the uh, to the uh, citizens. When you get a call 215 stop, you get a live person. When you download the app, we respond within 20, 30 minutes, depending on what it is, what type of information you're looking for. So, I mean, there's so many ways to call Crime Stoppers, but we want you to call the police. We only want you to call Crime Stoppers when you feel that you need to be anonymous. Indeed, great information. Uh, District Attorney 
Daryl Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have anything else, Tony? No, thank you for the partnership, uh, District Attorney Bailey, and I appreciate you doing the job that you do. All right, guys, that was District Attorney, Montgomery County District Attorney, Daryl Bailey here on the Crime Stoppers podcast. Hey, yo, Nick, run it back. Today, we're going to be talking with faith leader in the community, Pastor Reginald Simpkins. Pastor, well, we just got through talking to um, Dale Bailey. We was asking him about the, the cold case unit, and he started going on about the services that they provide. They actually have a victim's advocate that they have appointed, and they actually give counseling to a lot of the uh, victim's families or, yes, the victim's families they serve. And they're trying to get them some type of assistance. And like I told you uh, before, Pastor, we show a lot of crime through Crime Stoppers. We show a lot of homicides. We show a lot of assaults. And a lot of times we get families that are looking for justice. And they're holding on to a lot of hate when we get when we start interviewing them. We always give them the common type advice as far as uh, seek some type of counseling, uh, some type of religious counseling. Uh, we want to know that we're on the right point. What type of questions should we be, or what type of advice should we be giving a person that's going through a, a malicious crime? I think, first of all, there must be understanding in your approach to someone who's uh, sustained injury from death happening in their family or being victimized or feeling victimized from a crime, a heinous crime that has taken place. I think the first approach is to be understanding. I like this terminology that I use when I'm talking to people that have been hurt. Uh, You want to give them a good meal on a clean plate. And what I mean by that is we want to give good information, but in order to give good information, we have to present the information on the right plate and in the right form, which means you got to take the time to hear them out first, hear their frustrations so they can vent themselves because in order to help, their boundaries have been crossed. In other words, they've been violated through somebody doing something cause harm to someone they love or themselves as well. They need to be able to talk to you so when you get a chance to see where they are and allow them to express themselves on how they actually feel emotionally. Then when they're able to open up, you're able to see where they are uh, with how they've been violated. So when you you get to that point and they've opened up, then I think you can take step two. Once you know whether a person is angry or a person is revengeful or a person is harboring hate because of being violated, you, you know, that's the time then after they've opened up to you and feel comfortable talking to you, so now you've established a rapport or you've established a relationship where they felt comfortable being able to vent to you, now you can lead them lovingly presenting your message on a clean plate of how they can actually get over their situation. If I can go on, the next step would be sharing information to allow them to know that anger, disgust, resentment uh, would be the natural order of what a person would go through. But if they understand those things happen initially and they, they happen to most people initially, those things over an extended period of time not only causes them to be better 
towards someone else, but to become a better person for life. So now you have the chance to insert reconciliation. And when I talk about reconciliation, they have to be reconciled within themselves to understand that your initial response to violent crime or murder shouldn't be a continual response that you live in. Those things can cause a person to be sick and it can cause things to happen in their life to become debilitating as far as in their attitude toward life and that person. That's where sharing with them the understanding of forgiveness on the right plate. Now, you know, forgiveness, a lot of people have taught that forgiveness is something that you do that you have to feel. Well, that's not necessarily true. Forgiveness is not something you feel. Forgiveness is something you will. Uh, That's why Jesus said in the scriptures, when talking to Peter, how many times shall you forgive your brother? And he said, uh, Peter was saying seven times and Jesus said 70 times seven. So what he was trying to get people to understand is forgiveness is a decision that you make against all of the things that have been done wrong. And, And a lot of people think that when they forgive someone, then, you know, I'm letting them off the hook. They've done me wrong. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But forgiveness frees the one who's been violated because in the word forgiveness, that definition, it means to release. So you are releasing someone from something that they're responsible for. But when you release them, not only do you release them, but you release yourself because harboring unforgiveness for a long period of time is detrimental to the person that's holding the unforgiveness. So when they open up to you, you have that open door, you're able to allow them to talk and to hear their resentment and their vengeance, whatever is going on in them within. The next step is to understand to say, that's your initial response. Some would be forgiveness, but I would say a majority of the people, it's, it's not that response. So once they responded that way, Initially, it's good, but to be that way over a long period of time is debilitating to you as a person because hatred will make you bitter and angry and you'll become a person nobody wants to live with because that is it's like a cancer that grows. So when presented the right way, they can understand that forgiveness is a tool to free you from something. God didn't intend for you to carry for the rest of your life. Well, Pastor, just kind of piggybacking on what you said, I I was told some years ago when I first came to Montgomery, when I was covering one of the civil rights organizations here, and one of the veterans in that group told me that hate is like an acid, he said. He said hate is like an acid, that it eats up the container that holds it. And I think that's an excellent analogy for the point that you just made. My question to you, Pastor, is you talked about the steps and, you know, those initial reactions. Now, from a faith standpoint, for a person that feels this, you know, whether it's hate, whether it's unforgiveness, what is the first step from a faith standpoint for that person to begin the process of healing? When you say the process of healing, I'm glad that you use the word process, because if we don't understand the process, 
uh, we won't understand the destination that we're getting to. So, you know, no one starts off where they're going to end up. But like you said, to be able to start healing, healing only starts with forgiving. And I say this, and it sounds too simple. In order for a person to move on in life, you've got to unhook yourself with what eats up most of your time or what consumes most of your time. A person that is harboring unforgiveness and anger and resentment and revenge, that consumes them. That in itself is a hindrance from any healing taking place within a person. The first step, and a lot of people will say, you know, talk to people, you know, express your anger, express your hate, express your rage. Those are some of the things from a worldly standpoint of view, but from a faith standpoint of view. And we know scripturally, and even in people's life, people who forgive can begin to have some sense of normalcy because it is the beginning of the healing process. It is not an emotional decision in the beginning. It is a decision of an act of your will. And when you will to forgive, feelings will follow for a person to start. They have to start by in their spirit saying, I'm willing to forgive. And it seems from a worldly standpoint of view, unfair to forgive someone who they feel is not deserving of forgiveness. But that's how they're going to heal. That is the first step in getting there. Their emotions will be conflicting with their will, but they must will to forgive so later on they can feel to forgive. My name is Reginald Simpkins, and I'm the pastor of the Heart of God Ministries here in Montgomery, Alabama. Church been in existence since uh, 2002. We uh, love people, and uh, I believe God has called us to help hurting people, you know. And Tony, I'm just going to say what you all are talking about tonight is something I've seen my wife experience because her sister was killed by her husband, stabbed and burned in a car. There was a program, Tony, that used to be with the prison system called Victims Reconciliation that my wife became a part of where her and her mother forgave her sister's husband who had committed the crime, forgave him, and they came together in a reconciliation format where they came together in a room and they actually, you know, forgave him. And uh, he was uh, willing to do some things to help the family out. The main point was to get together for them to express to him that they had forgiven him for what he had done to my wife's sister and her mother's daughter. And I saw that one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because they were violated. They were victimized. That was my wife's main person she looked up to. That was her icon in life, so to speak. She was able to forgive him. And the testimony is they still communicate today. He calls and checks on her and the relationship has not just been since he's been removed from being in prison, but it has been a healing and a testimony to help other people. So, you know, they're a lot further along today by forgiving him. So that's that's a big moment. Thank you, Pastor, so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. I'm sure you'll be around if, to reach out to you again. Thank you for just allowing me to be a, a part of uh, such a wonderful broadcast with wonderful people like you all. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, you know I love y'all, Tony. I love right, you too, Pastor. All Pastor, right. thank you so all much. Right. Thanks, sir. 
Hey, love y'all. Y'all have a blessed night. All right, same here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Central Alabama Crime Stoppers podcast. I'm Jerome Jones. Tony Garrett. And remember, if you see something, say, say something. something. Thank you for listening to Central Alabama Crime Stoppers podcast. We are a nonprofit organization serving the state of Alabama. If you have any information regarding a crime, please contact the police or Crime Stoppers using our anonymous 24-hour tip line at 215-STOP, area code 334, by downloading our P3 Tips app from your app store. When you call, be sure to receive a tip ID and password in order to dialogue with investigators in case there is a follow-up question. You can also contact us at our toll-free number at 1-833-AL1-STOP or visit our website at 215stop.com and follow us on Facebook at Central Alabama Crime Stoppers. Always remember, if you see something, say something. And hey, yo, Nick, run it back. Woo! <laughs>